Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner. Today's feature is from Book 11, Part 37 of Milton's Paradise Lost. Podcast 41 is entitled Michael's Visit, Part 2. In the prologue to Book 11, Milton writes, The Son of God presents to his Father the prayers of our first parents now repenting and intercedes for them. God accepts them, but declares that they must no longer abide in paradise, sends Michael with a band of cherubim to dispossess them, but first to reveal to Adam future things. Michael's coming down. Adam shows to Eve certain ominous signs. He discerns Michael's approach, goes out to meet him. The angel denounces their departure. Eve's lamentation. Adam pleads, but submits. The angel leads him up to a high hill, sets before him a vision, what shall happen till the flood. Eve is contrite and takes the blame of their fall upon herself. She acknowledges Christ, now their judge, as being infinite in pardon. She resigns herself to daily toil with sweat imposed. She approaches the new day optimistically and smiling promises never to leave Adam's sight again. Even though they will be required to toil from morning till night, it will still be pleasant. She urges Adam to be content in their fallen state. To whom thus Eve with sad demeanor meek, Ill-worthy I, such title should belong to me, transgressor, who for thee ordained a help, because thy snare, to me reproach rather belongs, distrust and all dispraise, but infinite in pardon was my judge, that I, who first brought death on all, am graced, the source of life. Next favorable, thou, who highly thus to entitle me vouchsafed far other name deserving. But the field to labor calls us now with sweat imposed, though after sleepless night. For see the morn, all unconcerned with our unrest, begins her rosy progress smiling. Let us forth, I never from thy side henceforth to stray, where'er our day's work lies, though now enjoined laborious till day droop. While here we dwell, what can be toilsome in this pleasant walks? Here let us live, though in fallen state, content. But now that they are in a fallen world, nature is harsh, and even the animals have turned predator and prey. They watch helpless as a beast chases the terrified deer. So spake, so wished much humbled Eve, But fate subscribed not. Nature first gave signs impressed on bird, beast, air, air suddenly eclipsed after short blush of morn. Nigh in her sight the bird of Jove stooped from his airy tour. Two birds of gayest plume before him drove. 
Down from a hill the beast that reigns in woods first hunter then pursued a gentle brace, godliest of all the forest, heart and hind. Direct to the eastern gate was bent their flight. Adam observed, and with his eye the chase pursuing, not unmoved to Eve thus spake. Adam laments as even greater changes await them. It is because death is now introduced into the world. Adam, seeing death in nature, now considers their fate, that they too will turn to dust and be no more. O Eve, some further change awaits us nigh, which heaven, by these mute signs in nature, shows forerunners of his purpose, or to warn us haply to secure of our discharge from penalty. Because from death released some days, how long, and what till then our life, who knows, or more than this, that we are dust, and thither must return and be no more. Why else this double object in our sight of flight pursued in the air and o'er the ground, one way the selfsame hour? Why in the east darkness, ere day's mid-course, and morning light more orient in yon western cloud that draws o'er the blue firmament a radiant white and slow descends with something heavenly fraught. Suddenly from the sky appears a bright apparition. Fear overcomes Adam, for he is not used to being in the presence of such glory. Before the fall, Adam was one with angels. In brightness meeting brightness, there appeared to be no difference. However, now that Adam is in a mortal body, such heavenly beings overwhelm him, and he recoils in fear. He erred not, for by this heavenly band down from the sky of Jasper lighted now in paradise, and on a hill made alt a glorious apparition. Had not doubt and carnal fear that day dimmed Adam's eye? Not that more glorious, when the angels met Jacob in Mahanaim, where he saw the field pavilioned with his guardian bright, nor that which on the flame mound appeared in Dothan covered with the camp of fire against the Syrian king, who to surprise one man, assassin-like, had levied war, war unproclaimed. The princely hierarchy in their bright stand there left his powers to seize possession of the garden, he alone to find where Adam sheltered, took his way not unperceived of Adam, who to Eve, while the great visitant approached, thus spake. Adam warns Eve that they should expect great tidings, or they should expect new laws to be imposed upon them. He tells Eve that he saw a heavenly visitor, perhaps some great monarch. Being mortal and without glory, he doesn't recognize Michael, accompanied by flame and cherubim. However, he does say that it isn't some terrible monster that they should fear, though he may not be as friendly as his former friend Raphael. Nonetheless, it is some solemn and sublime figure who is best not to offend. He tells Eve that he must meet the visitor, and she is to retire out of sight. Eve, now expect great tidings, which perhaps of us will soon determine or impose new laws to be observed. For I decree from yonder blazing cloud that veils the hill one of the heavenly host, and by his gate none of the meanest, some great potentate, or of the thrones above, such majesty invests him coming. Yet not terrible that I should fear, 
nor sociably mild as Raphael that I should much confide, but solemn and sublime, which not to offend with reverence I must meet, and thou retire. Michael draws closer. Michael was no longer in his celestial glory, but met Adam as an ordinary man. The archangel wore a military vest. He was heavily armed with the same sword that he used to drive Satan and his angels out of heaven. Adam bows before Michael. He ended, and the archangel soon drew nigh, not in his shape celestial, but as a man clad to meet man. Over his lucrid arms a military vest of purple flowed, lovelier than Melibean or the grain of Sara, worn by kings and heroes old in time of truce. Iris had dipped the roof, his starry helm unbuckled showed him prime in manhood where youth ended. By his side, as in a glistening zodiac hung the sword, Satan's dire dread, and in his hand the spear. Adam bowed low, he kingly from his state inclined not, but his coming thus declared. Michael speaks with great authority, but kindly. He tells Adam that their prayers have been heard, that death, though certain, will be postponed by the grace of Christ to give Adam and Eve time to repent. They will have a chance to do many good deeds to cover the one bad act. They will be judged by their works and given grace by Christ. He tells Adam that Christ will come and redeem them from death's rapacious claims. Then he tells Adam they can no longer live in paradise, and his job is to remove them from the Garden of Eden, back to where he originally came from, to soil fitter for their fallen condition. Adam, heaven's highest behest, no preface needs, sufficient that thy prayers are heard, and death then do by sentence, when thou didst transgress, defeated of his seizures many days, given thee of grace, wherein thou mayest repent, and one bad act with many deeds well done mayest cover. Well may then the Lord of peace redeem thee quite from death's rapacious claims, but longer in the paradise to dwell permits not. To remove thee I am come, and send thee from the garden forth to till the ground whence thou wast taken, bitter soil. Michael ceased speaking, for he saw the chilling horror that came over Adam at the bad news. Adam is frozen, and Eve, who was eavesdropping, cried aloud, revealing her hiding place. He added not, for Adam at the news heart struck with chilling grip of sorrow stood, that all his senses bound. Eve, who unseen yet all had heard, with audible lament discovered soon the place of her retire. As Adam stood frozen, Eve burst into lamentations. She exclaims that being cast out of Eden is worse than death. She begs Michael, must they leave their beloved home where they walked with God, where they had hoped to spend eternity? She laments leaving her labors and seeing its fruits. The flowers of Eden will never grow in another climate. Eve speaks to her garden as if they were her children, lamenting that she must leave Eden. O unexpected stroke, worse than death, must I leave thee paradise? Thus leave thee native soil, these happy walks and shades, fit haunts for God, where I had hoped to spend quiet, though sad, the respite of that day that must be mortal to us both. 
O flowers that never will in other climates grow, my early visitation and my last at even, when I bred up with tender hands from the first opening bud, and gave ye names, who now shall rear ye to the sun, or rake your tribes and water from the ambrosial font. The lastly nuptial bower, by me adorned with what to sight or smell was sweet, from thee how shall I part, and whither wander down into a lower world, to this obscure and wild, how shall we breathe in other air less pure, accustomed to immortal fruits? Michael mildly interrupted Eve's lamentations, and kindly speaks to Eve. Whom thus the angel interrupted mild, Lament not, Eve, but patiently resign what justly thou hast lost nor set thine heart thus overfond on that which is not thine. Thy going is not lonely, with thee goes thy husband, him to follow thou art bound. Where he abides, think there thy native soil. Adam recovers his speech. Adam by this from the cold sudden damp recovering, and his shattered spirits returned to Michael, Thus his humble words addressed. Eve, of course, had taken greater interest in the garden than Adam did, and it was dreadful for her to leave heavenly Eden. Adam, however, realizes that they must leave. He is grateful for the kindness of Michael to object in Eve, but Adam accepts God's will. If it would help, he would weary God day and night with his prayers, but it was useless to go against the decree of God. He submits to God's will. Celestial, whether among the thrones or named of them the highest, for such of shape may seem prince above princes, gently hast thou told thy message, which might else in telling wound, and in performing end us, what besides of sorrow and dejection and despair our frailty can sustain. Thy tidings bring departure from this happy place, our sweet recess, and only consolation left familiar to our eyes. All places else inhospitable appear and desolate, not knowing us nor known. And if by prayer incessant I could hope to change the will of him whom all things can, I would not cease to weary him with my assiduous cries. But prayer against his absolute decree no more avails than breath against the wind blowing stifling back on him that breathes it forth. Therefore, to his great bidding I submit. It is not leaving the beautiful flowers of the garden that disturbs Adam. He is most disturbed by the fact that he shall be hid from the face of God and deprived of his blessed countenance. He recalls places where he walked and talked with God and declares that he will relate those experiences to his sons. He questions where will he be able to walk with God in the fallen world. Still, he is grateful that his life is prolonged, and he will be grateful for any communication from God, be it ever so distant. This most afflicts me, that departing hence, as from his face I shall be hid, deprived his blessed countenance. Here I could frequent with worship, place by place where he vouchsafed presence divine, and to my sons relate. On this mount he appeared, under this tree stood visible, among these pines his voice I heard, 
here with him at this fountain talked. So many grateful altars I could rear of grassy turf and pile up every stone of luster from the brook in memory or monument to ages and thereon offer sweet-smelling gums and fruits and flowers. In yonder netherworld, where shall I seek his bright appearances or footsteps trace? For though I fled him angry, I recall to life prolonged and promised race. I now gladly behold, though but his utmost skirts of glory and far off his steps adore. Please join us next week as we continue with Book 11. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.